thank you so much, Alex. Very excited to have you here today. So I want to introduce everyone to Alex Engel, the writer and are you directing for your project? I too? am, yeah, yeah. Okay, writer, director for Statistically Speaking, which is now casting on Hollywood Casting and Films website. Um, so Alex, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself and your experience as a filmmaker? Sure, yeah. Thanks so much for having me here on this podcast. Um, I, uh, I've been working in film for, I don't know, almost more than 15 years, I think. Uh, I started right out of school um, in New York City. Uh, I've been working as a, uh, a lighting technician, as a key grip on projects um, since school. Uh, I've worked on everything from feature films to TV, reality TV, commercials, music videos, short films, um, everything. And uh, I have, uh, I spent some time um, working as a commercial director, um, which is, uh, <laughs> which is the whole thing. Um, and I have been um, on my own time making uh, my own uh, narrative projects, narrative shorts, and um, developing feature films as well. All right, great. Yeah, that's really cool. I was actually curious a little bit. So you're in Brooklyn, New York? Yeah, that's right. Area? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm from the East Coast originally, but I don't know a whole lot about like the filmmaking scene out there. I've heard it's more artsy than like industry. Do you have any thoughts oh. on that? Or? Does that resonate with you at all? Um, that's interesting. Um, I don't, I guess I don't have too much to compare it to what filmmaking is like elsewhere. Um, I have definitely shot uh, elsewhere throughout the country. Um, but in New York, yeah, I guess there, there's like, there's a ton of like indie filmmaking. Um, but then as far as just like kind of commercial and industry type work, there, there is a lot of it. There's a lot of reality television that shoots here. There is um, uh, a lot of union features. Um, I've done a few union jobs over my years. It's been a while now, so I'm not really sure what that world looks like. Um, and definitely the landscape has changed a bit. I know that, for example, like Georgia has become kind of a powerhouse as far as um, drawing those major projects. Um, but there's definitely like a huge creative energy, like a lot of people trying out different things. I mean, this city is so conducive to, um, to yeah, just variety and, um, and I think it draws artists to, to, I mean, it's, you know, most cities are that way. New York and LA are kind of like the hubs. Um, but in New York, things are like hard here and, um, I think it, um, that, that, uh, just inspires people. No, that's interesting though. That's very cool. Cause yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't met a lot of filmmakers from New York, but I know it's like really big there too. And I'm in Chicago in the Midwest and mm -hmm. it's very low key here. Like there's a very small community of filmmaking and it's very indie art style. So yeah. I'm always curious about New York cause we're like kind of close. What, what I would say is that I had, I had like no problem even starting in school, getting hired as a paid technician on film sets. Um, I mean, it wasn't good work when I was starting out, but it was just like, there was a lot of it. Now that was also 15 years ago. I'm not exactly sure how that landscape has changed. And I do still work as a lighting technician, but 
um, when I do that, it's mostly in the fashion industry, which is um, also huge in New York, um, but uh, it's such a different um, world from, from like filmmaking. Right, yeah, that's kind of cool actually. Can I ask you about your fashion <laughs> a little bit? Like what was that experience like? Or like what oh, have you done with that? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, when I work in fashion, it's just as a, as a lighting tech and um, I've kind of moved into it because it's a far more lucrative um, right. side of filmmaking and it requires a lot less work. Um, I mean, I don't really have a lot of great things to say about the fashion world, to be honest. Um, That's fair. <laughs> and uh, what I like about it as a laborer is just most of the jobs are on studios, on white psychs, and it's kind of remarkable, but just like the, the, they're so easy. And um, it's kind of been my experience that the easier a job is, the better it pays, and the harder a job is, the worse it pays, which is just this absurd thing um, in filmmaking, but yeah. Yeah, that is actually so true. <laughs> I completely agree. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's kind of interesting to hear about, because I guess New York is like such a fashion hub, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, other thing, you said you work particularly with lighting. Is that like where you started and like... How was that kind of transitioning for you into like writing, directing? Like, were you interested in that? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I went to school, I went to NYU um, with the intent, like any other student there, of being some kind of writer director. Um, that's always been my interest. But when you're 21 years old, um, like being on a film set is really exciting. And especially being on feature films, it's like summer camp. And uh, as a writer director, especially back then, I had, I had no, um, I had not honed my skills at all. Um, you just don't get to have those experiences frequently, but as a technician, you get to be on those jobs all the time. And so it, it was really, um, uh, enticing to just be like, oh yeah, I can be on this shoot next weekend. And then the next weekend after that, I can be, and, uh, it, it really sucks you in pretty fast. I had to actually um, in my like quarter life crisis, like sit myself down and be like, Alex, you, you need to turn this work down. You need to stop taking these jobs. You need to stop doing features. It's such a black hole for your time. It's like socially very rewarding and the experience is very rewarding, but as far as the like life pursuit and um, yeah, trying to get my work off the ground, it doesn't at all move that forward. Um, so, uh, uh, so sorry, back to your original question. Yeah, the desire to write and direct has been there from the beginning and it did take several years before I would, uh, <laughs> how do I say this? I used to be terrible at it and now I think I'm pretty okay at it. Um, and it took a long time for me to like bridge that gap. Um, and in that time, and that time was probably stretched even longer because I was um, just like enjoying myself uh, working on films. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's great. And yeah, no worries. Um, I think it's good that you kind of got experience like working on set and doing those things. And then also that you're able to like pull yourself from those moments and go back to your focus on what you didn't want to do. Like, I think that's really important. 
And also, you're, you are very great at it. Like, I read your script for statistically speaking. And ooh, that word caught me statistically. I keep trying to like spell it when I'm writing it, or when I'm saying it. I always I catch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Sorry to interrupt. It's funny that you say that. So the, the title, um, sometimes when I'm writing, um, like either a project knows its title right from the beginning, like you just know what it is, um, or you don't until you've like finished the whole thing and then you spend days just like going over options, um, which isn't great. Um, so this, the project is called Statistically Speaking, um, but I do like parts of me at times, I'm like, eh, should it be called that? Is that a weird title? Someone has no context. Like, is it hard to say? Is it too long? Um, so I do have that and, um, yeah, it has two people, including you, have, have like had bumps with it, saying it or thinking it's a different word. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, I love that title. I think it's great. First of all, I will say that. <laughs> um, oh, I think cool. it's a good choice. I think you should stick with it for sure. <laughs> I think it's just that like double S sound is catching me, the STs and then the SP. Yeah. I'm like, you know, yeah, all those yeah. little like words that catch you. But it's kind of fun. It's like, it's a dark comedy style. You know, and then obviously the title is like a little bit of a tongue twister. So I think it's great. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's good. And again, I read the script. I thought it was like really funny and great. So yeah. Yeah. And you did it in as a short too, which is awesome. So I'm like getting content into like such a short amount of pages, you know, is always an amazing task. <laughs> yeah, I um I'm really impatient. And I have a really short attention span when it comes to watching content. And um, I also, on top of that, I think that, you know, as time passes, like audiences get, we're smarter. We, um, it, smarter, I mean, like we understand narratives better. Uh, did you watch that? Did Sunny show you that video of my Alex 101 video thing? Yes, yeah, we did so, watch that. <laughs> in there, basically, that's what I'm talking about is that like narrative lexicon of um, where in that video I reference things like, you know, once the audience, it takes a whole film in 1999 to explain what the matrix is, what, um, what it means to be like plugged into a virtual reality world. We didn't know what that meant before that, but after that movie exists, you can make another movie and just be like, all right, we're plugging them in and then like cut to inside a matrix type world. And the audience doesn't need any further explanation. They fully understand it because the previous film is part of the narrative lexicon. So that's what I mean when I say audiences are smarter. And because of that, they're better at estimating like scenes or connecting actions between characters. And, and then because of that, I just think it's like, we as creators can move content faster and we can pack content more densely in the scenes. And that is what I strive to do. And um, it's funny, you even say it's a short script, um, but the script is like several pages longer than I estimate the film to actually, the film's runtime to be. Usually they say it's a minute, a page, um, but most of my stuff runs almost two pages per minute at least in the short form con uh, uh, content. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I could see that for sure with like the dialogue, it just feels very quick and like kind of like witty things going back and forth, you know? Mm. So yeah, definitely, I can see that. But yeah, that's super interesting. And I do agree like with the audience perspective where they just have like a lot of knowledge coming into things, you know? Yeah. Like 
we don't even need to get them that much anymore. <laughs> yeah, and there is um, also just with storytelling, like the, I do, I believe very in, intensely and strictly in structure and, um, but I don't think that structure kind of limits how creative a project can be. But because of that, audiences are constantly hit with similarly designed things, which means that they, they know that. Like you can, you can, like I said before, you can just move faster, I think. Actually, so since we're talking about your project a little bit, my next mm. question I had for you. Um, so can you actually just give us an introduction to your project and the characters in it? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, so the project is titled Statistically Speaking, and it is a, I guess it's like a fast-paced um, dark comedy. It follows this paranoid statistician who believes his wife is trying to kill him. And the whole film, um, he is narrating to the audience and expounding on all the reasons that he has come to this conclusion. Um, and kind of showing us via flashbacks. And um, we, the audience, hopefully are kind of like, is he crazy or does he have a point? Um, but as he gets deeper and deeper into the story, um, he starts to wonder like, is his best way to defend himself to kind of go on the offense? And, and then we wonder what, what is going to happen between him and his wife. Uh, that's that's the the story i guess mm -hmm. yeah that's great yeah i um, think it definitely hits all those those moments just reading through i'm kind of like is he crazy or is this real <laughs> is it legit you know so yeah a really great story <laughs> yeah um and then i guess you asked about the characters i mean the the great majority of the film follows this the the one character the one guy his name is larry lincoln so i'm not sure that um we learned that when watching the movie. Uh, and, uh, and then there are, um, there is his wife who, um, who is in, how do I say this? She is the subject of many scenes, but is kind of in the background um, throughout the film and is kind of, she, she plays like the straight man to him being crazy and, um, she is both like unsuspecting, but also there are times when he is talking to the audience and he's like, um, she, yeah, she didn't, she didn't suspect a thing about like what was going on, but we can see from her reaction that she's like, this is weird. <laughs> like, what is he doing right now? Um, so he's a little delusional in, in how um, sly he thinks he's being. Um, and then the rest of the characters, um, are all like very minor roles. It's it's people that kind of um, fill his flashbacks, whether it's just when we see our hero at work and we see a coworker at the desk next to him or our hero is um, seeing his therapist or his analyst, um, very brief encounters with other characters. Um, Awesome. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that in the description that um, the wife is more of like the straight man character mm -hmm. and definitely for sure in the script too. <laughs> so I think that's fun. That'll bring a really cool dynamic, I think, for the two characters. Uh, 
So next question I had, going back to your title a little bit, mm. so how did you come up with the title for your film and how does it relate to you and your experience? If it does. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, the title, yeah, the title came pretty easily. Um, the whole kernel that started this project was I read somewhere probably a long time ago, um, just that statistically um, you marry the person most likely to murder you. Um, and so that is a line that I, that starts the, the narration. And it's just, yeah, you marry the person most likely to murder you. And it's like, well, statistically speaking, it's kind of, that's, that's where the title comes from. Um, yeah, I don't know that it, relates to me in any way, in any way. <laughs> yeah yeah well that little bit of just like you reading that fact and then like a story coming out of it you know I think that's kind of interesting <laughs> oh yeah um yeah I liked I liked that story or that that fact because there were two two things that I, I could easily um shoot extract from it one is is the story is a person worrying maybe after knowing this statistic that they're partner is going to try to kill them and then reading into everything. Um, and then the other thing is that um, it is a statistic. And um, I like that as far as short content goes, which means if I have one statistic, I can now bring in other statistics. I've got like kind of a world I can play with of like, oh, okay, if this guy's a statistician, as he's talking to you, he can bring up other things. Um, and, and have fun with it. I don't know why that is something that for me, when writing shorts specifically, the idea of like having something I can list um, is really conducive for me. So I had a short film in the past, which revolves around a guy who lost two digits on a phone number and he's trying all the combinations to find this person. And it's like, oh, that's a list. He can call a variety of different people and have those similar experiences. Or I made a short about two roommates moving in together for their first um, year and uh, alone. And um, uh, that I saw is like, oh, a bunch of quick scenes. Like what are all the passive aggressive things that roommates do to each other? Like someone not taking out the garbage, someone not um, washing the dishes, someone leaving their like, beard clippings in the sink. Um, so maybe that's something that I that helped me gravitate to the this story um, off that kind of little yeah kernel that that line that we started with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Actually, that's kind of an interesting way to think about it, because I know everyone has like a different style or what they incorporate into their writing. So it's kind of cool to find like the little niche thing that you do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, Actually, a random question I had. Do you believe that statistic? The first one that's like your first line? Oh, um, like yeah, I do. I, I do. Um, I think it is accurate. I think it's, but but it's not to be misunderstood as like, like literally what the statistic is saying is that if you look at all the people who are murdered <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and you try to factor a single like trait to any of them, there happen to be more like it happens to be spouses who do the murdering as a single trait more than any other single trait, which would be like 
as far as relationships go. Like it's not your neighbor who will murder you most. It's not your um, child. It's not. Um, now that is not to be, I don't think it should be misconstrued to, to be like your spouse is likely to murder you. That is not at all. I don't believe that at all. Um, I think it's when you're considering just the population of murderers. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I think that's how I interpret it too when I first read that line. And then as the story goes on, you're kind of like, oh, this guy's like really digging into this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the next question I had, and you can tell me if we already answered this, I feel like mm -hmm. kind of went in and out of this question a bit, um, but it's what inspired this piece and what do you hope to say with it? Oh, I, I can add a little bit to that. Um, definitely learning that statistic or that, yeah, that kind of like fun fact. Um, is what started it. Um, but I had that line in my pocket for a while, probably a year before I ever started writing the film. I've got a file of like thoughts and lines and little things that are just like what I keep calling kernels, like, oh, maybe I'll draw on this, maybe I won't. Um, but then, um, so then we were in COVID and um, definitely through the winter, um, something that I kept hearing with COVID is right, everyone's in lockdown, everyone is just like stuck living with whoever they're living with. And um, uh, I was hearing two stories between uh, uh, about partners and spouses. One was that being in lockdown drew people a lot closer together and they get to spend more time together and learn more about their partners. But then the other is the exact opposite where it's like, People are breaking up, like this was no bueno. They needed time apart, otherwise they're driving each other crazy. Um, so that very much kind of, with that in mind, I was like, oh, okay. I keep hearing this anecdote, like maybe I can draw on it. Um, so that's how that facet of the story kind of was strengthened and, and pushed me into writing it. Um, and then the other thing is that also with COVID, I've been living in the city. Uh, from the beginning, I've been like reading the statistics about infection rate and death rate hospitalizations like every day. And especially early on with the pandemic, I was, uh, there's just, no one knows anything and in including the um, experts. And by that, I mean, they're making their best estimations and guesses and giving that information to people, but then maybe weeks or a month later, you find out that actually there's a, there are new guidelines, there are new information. Um, and I, that makes sense, that's how it should be. But um, it just made it so it's like, oh, I'm constantly obsessing over these city statistics. Um, and then that was compounded by November's election, which was also just like, oh, it's looking like Biden's gonna win these, like, um, territories and Trump will win these and da da da. And then after the election, especially with the Senate, how off all the predictions were um, was really interesting to me. So it was just like several months of, yeah, I guess a, a, of all of that kind of like beating, almost beating around the bush of like, what is this, what this story ended up being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, like all of that stuff just like boiling over like the election, quarantine, things like that, and how it all just like leads to like all these thoughts and then you come up with like all these new stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just I, so much that I've seen come out of it. You know, it's been crazy. <laughs> the one thing I would say just to what with what you just said is that um I don't I don't know that it's so much, at least for me, that it's like oh, all this is like brewing in the back of my mind. And then when I sit to write, it just spills out. I think it's more like I make the decision to write a thing. And I also have all these experiences and I have to like very deliberately like pick from these experiences. It's easy after the fact to kind of come up with a narrative as to how it came to be, which is what I'm telling you now. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely while writing it, there was a lot of other stuff as I'm sketching out the story that didn't make it in, that doesn't have anything to do with the stuff I'm telling you now. Um, but it got it got cut out. Like it, so, I think it's kind of like it's it's dual. It's like my life experiences help inform the decisions I'm making, but I also have to spend a lot of time sitting there and thinking about like the paths and decisions that I that I want to make from all of my life experiences because there was all this other stuff going on in my life at that time too mm -hmm. that I was probably drawing from for a bit and then would like walk away from and yeah mm -hmm. yeah I agree I think that's totally um like an interesting point to make too I liked what you said about like the little kernels too I feel like I've, I've done some writing also and I think there's always like maybe a line that I catch and I hold on to that and it turns into like a whole story or something you know just from like my one interest in this little tiny thing yeah um so. yeah I think that's great especially for short projects too because mm -hmm. um you can build you can build something short out of just the line like to me a short is just kind of like a joke doesn't need to be funny but it's just in design it's just like you're just setting something up and you're punching it at the end and then it's like walk away um my shorts are not like grand projects they're they're usually if i can get them under six minutes great but most all of them are under eight minutes and uh so that's where just like a single line can be like the whole thing and uh yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think that's awesome. Like getting any kind of short into like six, eight minutes. I want to get your punchline in and then you're just like, okay, that's it. I'm leaving you now. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, let me keep going with our questions. Um, okay, so next thing I had, is there any media or artists or filmmakers that you drew inspiration from for your work for this or overall? Oh, sure. Um... And there's no, there's nothing that I was like thinking about while making this film, um, but broadly with my work, um, especially with the short content. Um, well, here, what I'll say first is there are tons of filmmakers and writers that I am like enamored with and love their work and obsess over their work. Um, probably at the top is Edgar Wright. Um, who did Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, Baby Driver. Um, his, his work, um, he is so fast in his filmmaking. In, in when you watch his films, they're so tightly edited and the like jokes per minute are so high. Um, but he's also, he does these two other things. One, I think he's one of the only comedy directors that really tells jokes 
through the directing and camera work and doesn't and editing and doesn't rely on the actors to be funny on screen. He makes the jokes happen through through his edits. Like, I mean, Scott Pilgrim is such a great example of that. Um, and uh, it's so rare to find like a funny director. Um, so he he's right up there for me. Um, and then also he's so, um, I mean, he, he's one of the most technically proficient filmmakers I know. Like he really pushes the limits of cinema in his films. Even if his films don't seem like super highbrow, they're, they're so sophisticated in the, in the filmmaking work. And it like blows my mind when I watch his, his work. I really can't say this enough, um, yeah, about him. Um, and he's also, I think I said this, but it's just, his work is so dense. Like um, you can watch his films three or four times and see jokes, see things that you didn't catch earlier. He, he really, really cares about his work. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm such a fanboy of his. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and, and when you watch his work, like I'm never, he has made films that I don't like, but his work is, it's like you're never bored or uninterested in any moment of his, of his work. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, what, who else? Another director, um, I mean, David Fincher, who's probably at the top of most people's lists. Um, but he, he is just um, such an extremely controlling and specific filmmaker. And um, I think I have had access to so fewer tools and such fewer, uh, such um, less money than he has. But um, I used to be really insecure about how like specific I wanted things to be when I was filmmaking. And then I watched a few behind the scenes with him and I'm like, oh, this it's fine, like you can do that. Like you need to be respectful of people and of the other creatives like helping you make your project. But like, you can just, you can be very specific. And uh, he is that, like he'll, he'll edit out a building that he doesn't like in his background or yeah, he's just, it's, it's kind of mind blowing how controlling he is. Yeah, that's so interesting. I love both of those choices, by the way. I'm like, that's great. Scott Pilgrim, one of my favorite movies like ever since I was like a teen. It so, is, that, that movie sure. is amazing. I have seen that film, I mean, a dozen times. And it. All, I would also say I have like some major issues with the film and the narrative and the story. Yes, they're definitely watching it back now as I'm older. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, uh -huh. interesting point. Yeah, um, but so. it's, it's, Oh man, it is so dense. It, mm -hmm. it, it, I, I use that word so positively. Like it's it's really rich, um, right. that film. Yeah, yeah, it's really smart filmmaking. I feel like, mm -hmm. like you said, he's just like the way he makes the story so interesting through like the camera work and the editing. Yep. Like that's something you don't see that often. So it's just like really, that's like one of my favorite things about it for sure. Just like the weird bizarreness of it all, I guess is great. Yeah. Awesome, okay. Um, but yes, I agree. Those are all great directors. David Fincher, amazing, of course. <laughs> um, so next thing, what would you say is the main theme of the story and how will the genre impact it? Oh, <laughs> I wonder if I have any good answer for this. Um, I'm always interested in comedy ones, kind of like what the like narrative is, you know, that you're going for. Do I have do I have a BS answer for this? 
Um, uh, I don't know. I think I toy around a little bit with um, the closest I would say I come to a theme. Okay, is uh, yeah, it has to do with statistics. There are some statistics that are referenced in this that I just like straight up like made up and 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 I think it's transparent to the audience that they are made up. Like early on, he says something like, um, "Did you know?" like 42% of couples say they're in love. And then he says, but only 18% of them actually are. Like, how can, how can you create that statistic? Um, so uh, I guess that's the closest is just to, um, is to examine the information that you're getting. <laughs> uh, but I don't really lean into that too much in this script it's kind of a little bit in the background mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah that's good <laughs> I love the the BS answers always great <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know as I'm always interested with like comedy like if there is like some sort of a narrative theme or like concept or if it's just like you know we're having fun or this weird thing inspired it you know so, yeah well definitely like with my like I said with my long form projects um that are that I've written that are comedy, like you, you can't start those or you can't really progress through them unless you know the theme, unless you know what the thing is about and why it has meaning to you. I, I firmly believe in that. But to me, a short film is such a different beast, especially since mine are so fast and and they're short. Like, like I said, it, to me, it's just designed as a joke. Um, and um, I did make, I think of all my shorts, I had one the one with the roommates was like all theme. It was all just being like, people take responsibility for your lives. Like, um, but that one, for example, with like the guy calling the phone numbers, trying to find this um, woman that he met at a bar. Mm. It was just like a cutesy rom-com. Um, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Right, that's great, yeah. And yeah, sometimes it's just for fun, you know, got to have some fun in there too. <laughs> Great, okay. Um, so actually, since we're doing a little bit of casting info too, um, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of detail about what you're looking for when you're casting like roles in general or specifically for these roles, if you want to go into that. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, casting is such a strange experience because um, it's, up until that point, you have like a blurry image of who your characters are. Like you've seen the film a dozen times in your head, but you don't have tangible representations of the characters. And so when you start casting, it's like, oh, this is prospectively like who my character might be. Um, and uh, it's kind of terrifying as a writer, like doing that. Um, obviously it's nerve wracking for the actors as well. Um, what I look for is, I hate to say it, but I want to, I just, I'm looking for someone who is intelligent. Uh, I mean, socially intelligent, someone who understands how people work. Um, and I find that that's kind of like the most important thing with acting is just like, because you're going to be put in a situation in the film, in the scene, and I want you to be able to respond the way the character would, like in that scene. And I think that by understanding, yeah, social interaction and um, being like emotionally intelligent is uh, 
is just going to help you do that. Um, and I think that's kind of a different like soft skill than the hard skill of like being a performer. Um, the um, other things that's, yeah, the other things are, uh, I'm looking for some, someone who brings something interesting to the project. Uh, I don't know, I hate to say this because I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but like you see headshots and it is for me, it just like sucks to just see headshot after headshot of like beautiful person. And um, where no matter um, the gender or sex, like they just, you all look the same. And I want, I want someone who sees themselves in an interesting way um, or is physically interesting. It doesn't mean that I'm not interested in casting um, attractive people. Um, but, uh, and then um, specifically talking about comedy, uh, I think that an actor's ability to manipulate their face is so important. I know that sounds kind of crass, but what I mean is like, oh, if someone says something, I want to see how you're going to react visually in an interesting way. And it doesn't need to be big. I mean, for the people listening, they can't see this, but if you like were to say something to me and then I was like, huh, like what? Or I don't know. Um, there's a great video online about the making of um, Back to the Future, um, which was originally, they shot like a third of the film originally with a different actor than Michael J. Fox. Um, shoot, I forget his name, um, but he was a well-known actor at the time. And then they fired him and cast Michael J. Fox. And this video shows the two, like the scenes side by side. And yeah, it's just like Michael J. Fox was bringing this like energy in his face and in his reactions as a character who's experiencing these really, this like totally bizarre um, situation of being sent back and meeting his parents who his dad is a loser and his mom who's like super promiscuous, totally opposite what he had expected. Um, and uh, I love that. Um, and I wish that, <laughs> yeah, I just, I want to find actors who can do, it's the reactions in comedy that are so, that are so important that land the jokes and also is where the audience finds relatability to the, the characters. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And that's super valid with what you're looking for as actors, you know, just finding someone who really, just really like brings the character out and is like real in the moment and also can like hit the points and the beats that you really want them to, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> so I think your, your story was very like, like narrative based mm -hmm. comedy. Um, and I think a lot of it was just like voiceover. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of something that was very interesting. Um, so I was just wondering if like, that was a specific thing you were thinking about with writing. Sure. That, I don't know if it applies to production in the way that you're gonna kind of interpret that. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the film does have, a, the whole film is narrated. Um, and then there are some um, diegetic lines throughout. Um, that was a very conscious choice. I guess I have two, so two things to say about that. First, um, I think narration in cinema is, a, is amazing. 
I think it is almost always done very poorly, um, but it is such a great tool that is, yeah, that is underutilized um, and is usually done as like a fix um, instead of something like very smartly planned out from the beginning. Um, and I also should caveat, I don't think the narration in this project is like amazing. It just, it, that is how the story is told. Um, but uh, yeah, so I love, I just wanna see more interesting uses of narration in film. Um, and then with this project specifically, I mean, I started writing this, you know, before, um, like before the um, Shift Creative Fund like even existed in my head. And um, most of my films that I make, I just pay out of pocket. They cost a couple thousand dollars at most and, uh, and that's it. So as someone who has had so much experience on film sets, uh, I, I know what costs money and what doesn't. And um, I wanted to, uh, by leaning into narration to move the story, um, it did two things um, from a production stand, producing standpoint. Uh, I think it just is, it's allows me to film faster. Like I, um, there are many scenes in this film that don't require um, sync sound. Um, and it's still a little TBD how many scenes are going to have a sound recordist on set for and how many are just going to be like me and the cinematographer and the actor like out shooting and then I'm going to add stuff in post. Um, I've done the sound design um, on almost all of my films. Um, now I've also taken them to like a proper mixer and have them done mixed professionally afterward but uh, I get really specific in the editing and sound design, and I think I'm um, uh, pretty technically proficient there. So rolling without sync sound doesn't scare me um, as far as like having the narration there. Um, anyway, it makes scenes like more easy to produce for less money. Mm -hmm. That's one factor. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other thing uh, I keep mentioning like, um, films that are like really rich and dense in their plotting and callbacks and stuff. And um, one of my favorite TV shows is Arrested Development. Um, and that that is a story that has narration connecting every scene. And something that that narration does in that in that show is they pack like an hour's worth of content into 22 minutes every episode because the narration is just like, oh, and then Michael seeing his son like this felt bad and decided he wanted to go see his brother. Whereas a normal show wouldn't have that one line of narration and would have to have a second scene showing Michael like feeling bad and then deciding to go see his brother and then he can go see his brother. And so the narration just bridges scenes and lets the story move so much more quickly. Um, and uh, I saw that opportunity with this project, like as he's jumping around flashbacks, um, I think I'm able to put a lot into like six minutes of story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you had like a technical uh, concept when writing that, yeah. mm. <laughs> thinking about all of that ahead of time. So 
I don't know if this is one of those that you're like, I'm not sure quite yet. Let me know. That's fine. We can skip this one. Um, but the question was, what are you hoping to do with the film when the project is completed? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty similar with all of my short content. Uh, usually I'll start submitting to like the major festivals um, and maybe I can do a year of that, of touring festivals before doing the, an online release. And, um, and then after, yeah, after the festivals with the online release, best case scenario is, you know, you, you um, are able to get on, you know, a Vimeo staff pick or short of the week pick or um, get on Amaletto or any of those major platforms. Um, awesome. And then last one I had for you, just a question of interest. So what are your goals as a filmmaker? Oh, um, yeah, that's easy. As a filmmaker, I just, I want to make long, um, long form narrative content, um, which is either uh, feature films or TV shows. Uh, that's it. I have a, I have a narrative comedy feature that I'm in development on right now. And um, I have a uh, I have a comedy TV pilot that that I'm um, sharing with folks and trying to uh, get it to a super polished state, but uh, yeah, no, nothing fancy with that with that answer. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Well, that's awesome. I wish you all the luck with those. I hope this goes well. Oh, cool. Yeah, thank you. I I hope it goes well too. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And I'm excited to get you guys into casting and working on that and see who you're going to work with. So are you looking for, um, sorry, last question. Are you looking for actors specifically in New York area or East Coast? Or are you kind of like opening to everywhere? Um, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, like I said, there there is not a lot of money with this project. So it's, um, and, and it, even for the roles themselves, I think it's like such a small scale project uh, that um, we're gonna be shooting almost entirely in Brooklyn um, and probably looking entirely in the New York area. I mean, maybe Jersey if someone wants to drive over, but um, we won't be flying people in or putting people up. Uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, on the show today. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. You can find Alex's project, Statistically Speaking, casting now on hollywoodcastingandfilm.com. He'll be filming this summer in Brooklyn, New York, so stay tuned for more behind the scenes with Alex coming soon.